Welcome to the DLR Library Podcast, Need to Read, recommended reads from those in the know. So today I'm talking to Cara Price. Cara is a writer and content producer based in New York. She co-founded Bellatrist along with her friend, Emma Roberts, the actress. Bellatrist is a social media first community for book lovers, which promotes reading and sharing what you're reading and talking about books. And it aims to be an accessible and unique form of self-care. They recently acquired a first look deal for TV at Hulu. Cara, you're very welcome and thank you for talking to me today. Hi, it's nice to nice to be here and to talk to you. Great. Did I pronounce that right? But is it Bellatrist? Is that how you say it? It's or we say Bellatrist, but the, oh. you know, it's that's just kind of how we say it. Tree, yeah, Trist, I guess would be sad. It's more T-R-I-S-T. So Bellatrist is what we say. Okay. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about I know you and, and Emma are friends and I actually started following her a few years ago on Instagram because I but she's a very stylish girl and I like <laughs> style. But then I kind of noticed that she's um she does a lot of the currently reading, which I love about Instagram, how people are showing what they're reading. And, and from there I kind of went down a wormhole and I found Bellatrist and um that's before I started the podcast. So it, it's a lovely little community online. If I ever question what I'm doing on social media, I, I kind of like that's why I'm hanging on to some accounts. I think it's <laughs> a nice thing. But maybe you could tell me about how you you guys started. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, um, well, kind of started with, we've always loved to read and talk. It's a big part of our friendship is sort of talking about what we're reading and suggesting books to one another and short stories and poems and essays. And, you know, I think, uh, Emma, as you said, has had posted about what she was reading, I think for as long as she had social media or as long as she had Instagram. And um, we had wanted to start something more substantial that was like an extension of our friendship on social media so that people could follow along because people really liked her recommendations on her own social media. And so we had this idea to start kind of something that was Emma agnostic in name, uh, meaning, you know, there was no, it wasn't Emma Roberts's book club, uh, that it would feel like you were really part of a community that was its own. And so we we came up with the idea for Bellatrist and we started it as an Instagram and it remains that way. I think we have a newsletter now that we send out every week and we do a few different content features, um, you know, and, and it's, I, I think those are the things that, and we do a book every, we choose one book every month, but we often talk about more than one book, but we, we kind of, for people who are, who follow the book club, you sort of read along with us with a book every month and, and um, we do content features around that. And it's, I don't know. Yeah. As you were saying, it's like, we hope to just be a kind of positive corner of the internet um, and uh, you know, provide some relief from this sort of <sighs> chaos of, of a digital life. I think it's now kind of a catch-all for our like literary cultural lifestyle like I think we can you know we every month we choose an independent bookstore that we sell through although in the U.S. there's a website called bookshop.org and I I think they're expanding to the UK actually Um, but basically what bookshop.org does is it allows independent bookstores to create a digital storefront Mm -hmm. you know as it stands like if you are a book, an independent bookseller in the United States, you used to just have to have your own e-commerce shop. 
And what bookshop.org does is it allows you to create this kind of digital storefront. And then if you're someone who wants to, you know, contribute your purchase or a percentage of your purchase to that bookstore, to a different bookstore, every time you buy a book, you can do that. Yeah, like, actually, I think it is. I think that is coming here. I have my friend did tell me about that. Yeah. Um, I know at the moment that the bookstore is like, there's a lovely kind of um, push for people to shop local because so many businesses are struggling right now. Um, yeah. And I'm in the library in, in Blackrock, it's a town outside Dublin, and there's a local independent bookstore called Raven Books, and, and they're so busy. And it's lovely to see people queuing up outside. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Is that in Dublin? Yeah, it's Dublin and um, Blackrock Village. Um, oh, cool. It's one of the suburbs like in South Dublin, yeah. Um, so but yeah, that's definitely people seem to be reading a lot more. And with the libraries, we have a book drop service. So we're dropping books to, to people cocooning or, I mean, obviously that's, it's the, the world I'm working in, but it, I feel like there's a real energy for reading. Yeah, um, I think that that's true. I think it's true here too. I think Bookshop launched right before the pandemic and they show how much money they've raised for bookstores because, uh, you know, a percentage of every purchase goes to either the particular store that you indicated or this like pool of money that's then separated for participating booksellers. And it's, they've raised, you know, I think now almost $8 million, you know, and, um, and I think that there's just this, yeah, there's this energy towards keeping bookstores alive and um, it's great to see. So wait, what, what, can you tell me a little bit about what, what the, this TV venture is? Uh, sure, sure. So, um, you know, in the, we were, you know, we read a, a lot, a lot. And, and, you know, we noticed that in the marketplace, especially the television marketplace, there's like a hunger for, I guess what in the business they call sort of IP based uh, stories. So things that are based off of books or, based off of articles or short stories. And, um, you know, whereas there's always been a history of that, uh, you know, in terms of a lot of movies being based on books or TV shows being based on books, I think there's just this explosion of, you know, an appetite for that sort of thing. And, and, and writers are now able to make a lot of money uh, optioning their books in a way that just there wasn't as it wasn't as big of a marketplace before. Yeah. And so, you know, my background is in film production and Emma's obviously an actor and, you know, we, a lot of um, actor fronted production companies, uh, you know, are making things that are IP based. And so we kind of had this idea, well, we already have this community um, that we've started. That's a book club. You know, we could potentially turn it into, a vehicle for producing. And so we sought to find a, a first look deal, which essentially means a place can, in, in this case, Hulu, which, you know, d- does normal people and conversations with friends and yeah, little fires everywhere. A lot of IP based stuff, um, you know, has a first look with us, which means they get to look at something that we want to make first. And then if they don't want to make it, we can take it elsewhere. And sort of in light of that, we've taken other projects elsewhere. We have a, there's a short story by V.E. Schwab, who's a fantasy writer who just wrote um, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Um, And she wrote a short story called First Kill that we are turning into a Netflix series, uh, a YA Netflix series. Um, And we have, 
I don't know, we have a number of other things in development that are based on either articles or short stories or full-length novels or and nonfiction too. So that's, that's exciting. So you, just, you can like really just go with what you like then and, and it's nice to have that. Yes. You need to be. Accepted. Yes. I think, yeah. I think we tend towards uh, like literary skewing fiction and that's not always you know, it can be very voice driven, um, and, and very, and very interior, uh, mm. and that doesn't always make for the best TV. Like, I think we've widened our scope in terms of what we're looking for, for TV too, because things that are very plot heavy make for good TV, you know, or, mm. or good films. So, um, yeah. when you were talking, just, I was thinking of cat person, you know, that essay, yeah. Then I was thinking the same, like, how would you actually trans? How would you make that into something? But you—that's the challenge, I guess. Yeah, Capers is a good example because there was like a just a humongous, I think, bidding war for that story yeah, when it yeah. came. Out. I think there's two things at play. I think sometimes something is just so popular that like the marketplace, the TV marketplace, gets really excited and sometimes mm. puts the cart before the horse, so to speak. Is like, is this something that actually can be made? And is there a there there? And then there are things um, like The Vanishing Half, for example, that is both plot driven and beautiful and very literary. And I think we'll make a, a wonderful, I think it's going to be a mini series. I, I can't remember if it's a mini series yeah. or a TV show, but you know, there's that very rare mix of just an incredible book with incredible plot that will make for an incredible series, you know? <laughs> yeah, period as well. It'll look, yes. look beautiful. Um, so maybe we'll, that brings us to the books you're going to talk about today. Um, so you've chosen the topic alternative perspectives. And mm-hmm. um, so maybe can you explain? Well, you, it might be different for each one, and I think it mm-hmm. is. But um, maybe you can explain why you chose that. Yeah. So I mean, alternative perspectives. Uh, so I actually I chose three books that I've read over in the past six months. One is a book called Luster. So that's a wonderful book. And then The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And then um, in in Ireland, the book is actually called Our Little Cruelties, but in America, it's yeah. called Little Cruelties yeah. by yeah. Liz Nugent, which came out in America on t- last Tuesday. And I think has okay. been out yeah. in, Dubl- in Ireland for a while. But um, I chose those three books. I think they, the three books are not alternative perspectives on one thing. I think each of those books presents an alternative perspective on something that I guess we are used to seeing or that is normally one way and the book presents it in another way. Um, and then, so in the case of like Little Cruelties, for example, it's a, it's a book about three brothers uh, who are sort of grappling with, you know, family legacy and toxic masculinity and fame uh, in Ireland. And it spans over, I think, four decades or five, yeah, four or five decades. And I think the alternative viewpoint there is that it's written by a woman, you know, it's written by a woman and the sort of, um, the book is split into the, into three perspectives of the three brothers. The driving, uh, question of the, of the novel is, you know, uh, we open the novel with uh, one of the brothers is dead, but we don't know which one. And so you're sort of wondering for the entire novel, it's like, how did this brother end up in a casket kind of thing? But ultimately it ends up being a book that one is is told 
is written by a woman. So I do think that, I, I think a man or a woman can write any story, but I do think it's interesting to have um, a woman write a story about three men. I think mm-hmm. inevitably Liz Nugent brings a different perspective on sort of toxic masculinity. And then the female characters she writes are very much, um, are on the receiving end of this, these brothers sort of antics and missteps and addictions and, you know, mistakes. And uh, I, I would not say they're the beneficiaries of by any means. I would say they're probably yeah. the, they're the, uh, co- they're collateral damage in a way. And mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, I mean, how many centuries have we watched sisters being written by men, you know? So mm-hmm. I, 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 and sisters by women, I think, too, but but I think it was very what I found very interesting about the novel, which is a very sort of unput downable novel, is that you know it it's about men. It's a novel about mm-hmm. men that's written about written by a woman. So I, I thought that that was an interesting viewpoint. Yeah, I did read that she um, they don't have very, very many redeeming characteristics. <laughs> like yeah, that's right. I I haven't finished the book, but I've been listening to it in audio format, which is quite funny. Um, because there's a few different actors. Does she read it? Oh, oh, oh. No, no, they're actors. Yeah, yeah. So there are men. Um, and uh they're not, I mean, they're just not nice characters, really. At first I was like, okay, maybe maybe he's the guy that's that was killed, or because like he's not very nice, but then they all sort of turn out to not be very nice. Even the mother, you know. But I especially the mother. (laughs) Um (laughs) but I did read she said she prefers writing from male perspective because she thinks they're easier to write because they have fewer thoughts <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah I we we're I, I I've talked to we've talked a lot about the book um I've become friendly with her and I oh, really uh, yeah she's awesome and she um you know she yes she did say that in so many words and I kind of understand what she's saying <laughs> yeah I don't think she meant it in an insulting way but um no I, I don't think so I think there's just a way in which men also can externalize their feelings much more than women do. And so you have the sort of, at least I think so. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, men absolutely have emotional lives and, and yeah. secrets, but I, I don't know. I, I see where she's coming from with that. <laughs> yeah. And did, uh, did, how did you find it being an Irish story and sort of set in middle-class Dublin? That's a good question. You know, I think there is an obviously in a, there's a, there's, I think there's always been an appetite for Irish fiction in the American market. Um, I think Sally Rooney has presented, I think because Sally Rooney has been so successful, both like critically and I guess commercially, she, you know, everyone wants to know what Irish people have to say about about life. But that's always been the case. I mean, look at James Joyce and, and yeah. you know, I, think, number, yeah, I mean, really Roddy Doyle and Seamus Heaney. And, you know, I think Seamus Heaney is Joe Biden's favorite poet. Um, so yeah. congratulations, by the way. On- oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. It was all me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I think reading this novel, I think it's more the writing that's different. I think it's totally something that could happen. Like, I, I don't think the, ex- the experiences in the book are pretty universal, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and even some of the novel is set in the US and in other countries too. But I just like the sensibility of Irish people. And I think that that Liz infuses that in her, in her sort of wit mm-hmm. and yeah. it's very dry and unsentimental. And yeah, I appreciate like- that. 
I, I like a dysfunctional family as well. I, I, yeah. I've always got time for that. And there's a lot of material, I guess. for, <laughs> for my life, so. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you also chose uh, Luster, which, you, yeah. which I have on order and I have, um, I actually have it on the audiobook as well. So I have started listening to it. Yeah. Um, and, it's a uh, wonderful book. Yeah. yeah it's, it's definitely it, a different kind of, I mean, the reason I chose alternative viewpoints here I mean not even to be controversial but I think the author is a black woman who's writing a story that we've read a lot written by white women specifically it's this you know it's a it's the sort of somewhat common story of you know the 20 something girl working in publishing making poor life choices you know has probably struggles with depression and anxiety but because we don't often see it told by a black woman specifically and, and told by a person who is other oftentimes, especially in these settings, it's a completely different experience in this novel. And then there's a, there's a, well, I don't really want to give it away. There's a great twist in the novel too, um, of sort of what the novel becomes about, but I just think Raven or this character's point of view um, is, is so unique and fresh in a, a story that I think you see as sort of a lot of people's first novels. Mm -hmm. There's been, there's the sort of MFA itization. That's the, you know, our writing degree in America is the MFA. And yeah, she she did that with, um, was it Sadie Smith? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. At NYU. Yeah. At NYU or Hunter. I can't remember. Yeah. I think at NYU. Um, and so, you know, I think, her, I don't know her. I, I just found her point of view so fresh and, and interesting and um, a real kind of novel take on a story that I've read many times. And some of the times I've really enjoyed reading. I don't, but, but I just really found her, yeah, her perspective to sh- bring new light on the sort of menial early twenties work that is so sort of prevalent in yeah a New Yorker, a young New Yorker's life. Mm-hmm. I think there can be a lot of um, sort of backlash against the the millennial kind of Sally Rooney style, but I I, I love it. And I think what we're seeing is just this, um, like you mentioned, interiority, this look at women's, young women's experiences, but also just like this kind of observational style where they're just kind of watching what's happening. They're not quite sure who they are. So they're kind of looking at how people see them. Um, yes. and then they're trying to try things on and try things out um, yes. and I sort of get that sense from that this book as well um yeah and to, so to hear it might seem jarring to some people but this is you know this is young women's thoughts and yeah. I, I love that this emergence of all these young writers um we have a lot coming out here as well uh, after Sally Rooney obviously there's Nisha Dolan and there's a great writer um Neve Campbell she wrote this happy I don't know if you've and oh, I think someone, t- I'm going to write that down. This, this as in ne- like Nev Campbell? Uh, Neve Campbell. Yeah. So N-I-A-M-H. I'm writing yeah. it down. Ne- N-E-V-E? No, N-I-A-M-H. It's the Irish spelling of Neve. Oh, yeah. N-I-A-H. I-A-M-H. Yeah. It doesn't make any sort of phonetic. A-M-H? <laughs> so N for Nelly. Yeah. I for Ivor and then A for apple, and then M for mother, and then H. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
Because we in America, Nev Campbell is an actress. <laughs> but she says Nev. I think that's slightly different to ne- this Neve. Is Neve. It's all yeah. like you pronounce it N W E V. So Neve. Yeah. So interesting. Some yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like Siobhan. Siobhan. Yeah. Yeah. Or Ashling. Yeah. Oh no, Ashling's easy enough. <laughs> or Aoife. Aoife's the one I think people have problems with. Um, Can't even. I'm not even gonna guess how to spell Aoife. <laughs> A-O-I-F-E yeah it's, it's there you go key one and obviously Saoirse Ronan as well right 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 but then yeah I've just done a, a writing course I'm going to do a podcast on it soon but we we looked at uh, Neve Campbell's book also Emma DeBerry uh she wrote Don't Touch My Hair um, mm, yes which I was going to talk to you about um with the next book as well I think it, it mm-hmm. um Rick Bennett's book I think there's some kind of crossover in in ideas there yeah um so the vanish- yeah. did you read the vanishing half by chance? No, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't an order. <laughs> no, I'll, it's so it's it's I really want to though. Yeah. I mean, it's a wonderful novel. I mean, that's I mean, like little cruelties, I mean it's it's multi-generational. Um the characters are, you know, from different generations within the family. I mean, I guess for people who don't know, it's about a set of twins who grow up in this fictional town where whiteness is you where you basically it's called mallard is the town and you and and you know obviously the sort of the lighter you are the better essentially it sort of charts their course as they veer from being twins and one of the twins decides to live life passing as a white woman and one decides to live as a black woman and the sort of way in which that affects the trajectory of their lives and I think that, you know, within the book, when you're talking about alternative viewpoints, you know, I mean, I think if you want to, I think the point, other than to entertain, it's, or Britt's point was to basically say that race is a construct, and it's a construct insofar as you can literally either try to be white or black, or black and succeed. Um, and I think... Uh, given the way each character is treated based on how they identify, uh, it is clear that race is a construct, right? Because it's something that is invented if you're choosing to um, present as one or the other. And then, of course, all of the sort of ways in which that choice affects what you know, who you marry and where you live and how you're treated and how your children are treated. And But, but on top of that, you know, it's not... It's a it's a novel about uh, about sisterhood. It's a novel about family, and it's a novel about you know this family sort of through the twentieth century. And I think it's you know it's interesting. There there are novels these days. I think that can be quite didactic, especially because you know issues based novels. I think is really the word that's used. Um, and this is n- and and the vanishing half is certainly not that. You know, it's a very it's a sweeping novel. It, there are love stories within the novel. There are, you know, it sort of has all of the things. And and yet, you know, you do leave the book or you leave reading the book and you think, well, yeah, I really, I really do understand this notion of race being a construct. And I I didn't feel like it was being forced down my throat through through the novel. Um, but it is something that you have to inevitably think about when you finish it. Sounds like an interesting premise as well, taking two of the same, you know, the twins and their their different experiences of that. Yeah. I mean, I think it 
came out of there's a, I mean there's I I don't know nearly any enough about this but you know there's kind of a canon of literature and stories about passing Nella Larson's passing is probably the most famous one um mm. and so I think the author Britt Bennett knew she was sort of working within that canon but also had to kind of break away from it uh even though it's a period novel so there is a challenge, I think, for the author to write about another time when we know what has happened since then. And it's something that I really look for because it's my pet peeve when writers or television shows or movies will have a kind of revisionist approach to the period that they're in. Because it's like, would a woman in this time call herself a feminist? You know, like, let's not try to paint a sort of 2020. Yeah you know, paintbrush over a time where certain things were just the way that they were. And I appreciated that. I thought Britt Bennett did a really good job of that in The Vanishing Half that you really felt as though the time and place was preserved in the novel. Mm -hmm. Book I mentioned earlier, Emma DeBerry's book, um, Mm. Don't Touch My Hair, it's kind of, it's a mix of her memoir of growing up 80s Dublin as uh, Irish Nigerian. Mm. She was living with her her white mother and, and one of the only black kids in her area and her school and um, what that was like growing up. And, and it's mainly about black hair and how mm-hmm. so she sort of mixes it with sort of academic sort of research and studies of, of just how institutions and movements and uh, assimilation attempts over hundreds of years have sort of weaponized black hair against black people especially women mm-hmm. um, and also pitted them against each other so even within black communities it'd be like you know lighter skin would be deemed better or this if you you were lucky if you had the straighter hair you know so, mm-hmm. um, so she she delves a lot into that and um, sort of mixed with her experience of, of hating her hair growing up and it's really it's really um it's such a lovely book because you just sort of see how all that is weighted against this one little girl growing up and, and what chances she have liking herself. Um, mm-hmm. She finds out later in life that part of the, her Nigerian heritage is this sort of belief in um, the ancestors and telling their stories and passing them on. And she found that sort of came to her naturally as a kid, she was telling, um, writing stories. But then she then it came to her that, okay, that's actually part of my culture. Um, we mm. continue on the stories. And, and, and I just thought it was, yeah, it's a really lovely book. The themes seem a little bit like um, oh absolutely absolutely and again it's um, it's it's a it's I think it's important to see when meaning is ascribed to things that don't need to have meaning like hair is hair you know and I think you know it is somewhat the the tool of the oppressor I mean I was I'm just thinking about this you know in Jamaica right now there is a law that bars children with who come to school with dreadlocks to attend school or there it's it's I, I think it's reached the, the whatever the supreme court equivalent is in Jamaica there are micro pockets of racism that are meant to and it's and it's a it's a tool of the oppressor to sort of keep people separate right mm-hmm. to keep women pitted against each other to keep children pitted against each other because then they can't focus on a common on a common goal yeah. Um, and I think hair is such a kind of sick and twisted, twisted, I guess, pun intended way to sort of keep people separate from one another and create this hierarchy based on something that isn't real. You know, it's just also denying the heritage of of black hair, which is that's right. steeped in it's actually it, when they get together to do their hair 
for women especially it's it's a, a social um mm-hmm. community thing and then going back way back I guess they it was a language that they spoke they have maps and messages or certain mm-hmm. styles so kind of just taking that away from it as well and, and making it more of a frivolous thing yes um, exactly it's definitely in line with some of the themes in the banishing house so that you read them all this year was it was a part of your book club or just books that you yeah did? they oh well little cruelties wasn't little cruelties is just a book that I came across that I read and I have suggested to a lot of people and have really it's a it's a you know it's a, it is definitely a page turner as well but it's it's very I mean it's very well written Liz is a wonderful writer and and it's yeah. uh you know she's incredibly popular with our, our book clubs um, yes, she is. Right. Yeah. She's I, I actually had not heard. Well, I can't remember. Maybe I, maybe I had heard of Unraveling Oliver. I, I can't remember. But this book just came was sent to me and, and I picked it up and I, the premise seemed really great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So do people send you books then? Oh, yeah. And books that you want to you just get lots. <laughs> I get lots of books, you know, kind of like at libraries, right? Libraries get sent a lot of early copies, right, to decide what you're going to stock the shelves with sometimes or I guess bookstores more so. Yeah, and bookstores would, uh, definitely bookstores would get the proof copies. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, so we ha- have like, depends, like, sometimes the librarians are buying the books or sometimes like the, right. the, the sort of in our bibliography section, someone's buying books there. And you'd obviously, you'd have a certain amount of new releases that you'd get. And then depending mm-hmm. on what areas you might, and, and budget as well. So um, can't always get everything. Um, right. Yeah. How do you decide? I'm always so curious with librarians. Is it demand or how, how do you decide which books to buy? Taste, I guess. Um, well, I, I, can't, I can't speak for it. It's not my area, my job, but I have mm-hmm. done it as part of for my library. And what mm-hmm. I did is go through the, in terms of nonfiction, I'd go through the sort of classification and see what, see where there's gaps. Mm. Um, and then you want to make sure, like, obviously, lately, we're trying to make sure we have a lot more international authors. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, there is the um, International Dublin Book Prize, I think it's called, uh, where libraries mm. all over the world will nominate a book. Anna Burns just won that recently uh, with Milkman. Mm. So right. we we get all those books as well off that list. So mm-hmm. um, there are loads of different ways to do it. People will go through book review sections in the paper, but it, it's it, at the end of the day, it's librarians like yeah, it's real running, people running right. the 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 web and and bookseller magazines and buying them. That's how we choose our books too. Yeah, yeah, it's I great. Mean, same thing. You know, it's yeah. not in the U.S. There are decide like the indie next list is a big thing that determines you know attention on a book. But the Indie Next list is still something that's voted on by booksellers, you know. So it's still, yeah. I think what's so, what people don't realize about the Amazon algorithm. And I, I definitely know, look, I think people don't appreciate how much the book publishing industry depends on Amazon for sales. Like if Amazon went away, it would be very bad for the book industry. I, yeah. I think there's a way in which booksellers can coexist with Amazon in a more equal fashion that we currently haven't met. But like, Amazon is extreme is crucial for the success of publishing um I guess as much as people don't want to hear that yeah because I would tend to stay away from it myself although I do use audible um I mean I think I think it's just being mindful like I think I I think there is a world and and there are people who have studied sort of buying behavior consumer behavior who have said that like there is a there can be a more equal ecosystem where the reality is, is like more people can get more books if Amazon exists, but there should also be more people buying books from independent bookstores. I think both can be true yeah, and have there be success of both because 
Amazon's market share is very is crucial to book to bookseller. It's crucial to publishers, you know, for business yeah. to stay alive. Um, yeah. The one thing I was to say about the Amazon algorithm, though, is I think people think it's like if you like this, you like that means if you like this, you like that. But what it really means is if you bought this, you should buy that, and that's a very different thing because yeah, buying behavior is not exactly reading behavior, and so I think it's very limited. Yeah, so people who bought this bought this also. You kind of want to be in the club. Is, is that the idea? Well, and you just end up reading the yeah. same thing, you know. Yeah. You you kind of end up, which I suppose. It's an echo chamber, yeah. Yeah, it's an echo chamber. Exactly. It's very hard. Discoverability is lost. And I think that's why it's so important to go. Booksellers are the real people who know. And this is why these, these podcasts as well and, and what you're doing. Um, I definitely read way outside my usual taste from just talking to, to other people about what they yes do. um exactly although exactly. like obviously I tend to interview a lot of people who I choose myself so it's obviously biased <laughs> but um we all have yeah but I am doing a, a sports book um podcast next so that's that's new for me really yeah um you get out of your comfort zone yeah although uh, so one of them is Norman Mailer's um, The Boxer, I think. Yeah. So that's the only one I've heard of. And um, the other ones are football ones. Andre Agassi's book, Open, I think that's the only sports book I've read. Which is, is My actually, girlfriend loves that book. She, it, it is really good. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, if it's a good book, it's a book, good book. And it's just about, and Andre Agassi's very honest in it. And it's just about mm-hmm. his, his drive mm-hmm. and his relationships and stuff. So would you read fiction as well for that sports one? Um, I think one of them is a fiction one. I have I'm doing my research this week. Um, it's a fiction one about um, a, a football club. I think if you're a fan of of football and those clubs, mm-hmm. then it would probably have lots of funny moments for you or interesting moments. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I don't. I like I don't know. Are there many fiction? There, I'm sure there are fiction books about sport. But uh, oh, we just did one last month. We ride upon sticks. Is about field hockey. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Boys in the Boat, I believe, is a is a sports book. Right? Yeah, that comes top of the list a lot when you're looking at sort of best sports. And would you would you read much nonfiction as well? I love nonfiction, yeah. I yeah, really do. Yeah. It depends. Yeah. I have to be interested in the story, but I you know, I like I like history. I like historical nonfiction. There's a great book that we chose called Bringing Down the Colonel, which was about a woman nineteenth century who sued a man for breach of marriage contract, but it was Oh yeah it sort of, it predated the uh, woman's right to vote in the United States, but women were actually the reason that her case was able to go forward. And so it was kind of this form of covert resistance um, that was set against the backdrop of the sort of pre or or early sort of suffragette movement. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's great. Thank you so much for talking to me. That's of course. Of course interesting ones there to try i've got the two uh brit bennett and luster um by raven lalani on order yeah. as well and it's great to have an irish author in there as well Liz Nugent, we do we are proud of her so th- thank you thanks again for talking to thank me. you so much thanks for asking me i appreciate it Thanks for listening. This has been a DLR library production. If you'd like to know what Cara plans to read next, then keep listening for Need to Read Extra Bit. Thank you. Who's on your radar next, would you say? God, there's so many books. There's this book coming out by Simon Hahn. Yeah, it's called uh, Nights When Nothing Happened, which which comes out, I think, tomorrow, actually. 
actually finally read an older book. Um, you know, we're, our, our book this month is is Shirley, is the collected stories of Shirley Hazard, and um, she has a book called Transit of Venus. That's a novel that I've wanted to read for a very long time. So I'm looking forward to that. Melissa Broder's new book, which I I read and really loved, called Milk Fed. She did the Pisces and So Sad Today. I don't know if you've heard of those, but she has a new book called Milk Fed, which is um, about a young woman in Cal- in L.A. who falls for this Orthodox Jewish woman who works in a yogurt shop. Um, that's very funny, mm-hmm. deeply funny novel. She's an incredible humorist, and and her books are are somewhat dark. I mean, I would, yeah, they're dark, but they're still, they're, they're wonderful. And, um, you know, there was kind of like a publishing freeze around the election. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of interesting stuff is going to be coming out in the new year. Yeah, there's a, um, there's a book called Radiant Fugitives by Nawaz Ahmed, but that's coming out in August 2021. So, uh, but if people should look out for that. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many books. It's crazy. It's really crazy. I didn't catch that. (laughs) Siri, I don't know why I didn't just delete it off my computer. She's never helped me once. She's never helped me. (laughs) I can't stand her. 